Russell's Reserve. Aged tenure. God, I didn't think of a name. Do you have a name for me? Well, how about that? Uh, n- nothing like uh, starting off a crossing broadcast in the morning with uh, without Kyle. He's not here. Where is Kyle? And who am I talking to? I'm just talking into a void, talking into a vacuum. Kyle is in Atlantic City, New Jersey, probably dabbling in some legal sports gambling. And you are talking to Bob Wankel, Philly's wow. writer for CrossingBroad.com. How about that? Wow, gotta work How on the uh, gotta work on my name though. With yeah, the, I was gonna uh, with the booze. Yeah, I was gonna call you Kyle's keeper. Kyle's keeper. Okay. You seem to know. Uh, seem to know where the guy is. So anyway, uh, you know, this is uh, an episode. It's gonna be a baseball heavy episode. So if you like the Phillies, if you like the Manny Machado rumors, and and uh, of course, if you care about the NBC Sports Philadelphia 2008 World Series champion Philadelphia Phillies documentary thing that went out Sunday night, then uh, this episode is for you. I'm Russ Joy, Joy on Broad, joined uh, as he just introduced himself by Crossing Broad's Phillies writer, Bob Wankel, at BW Crossing Broad on Twitter. Make sure you go follow him for uh, all of his shenanigans about a sport that uh, he and I have bantered back and forth about for a while. Bob, I don't hate baseball. Did you know that? You don't hate baseball. Is that so? Yeah. I just, uh, I like, I like stirring the pot a little bit. I think it's good. I think it's better. It's better for us to have a little bit of internal conflict. Yeah, if we all if we all like it, each other. Admittedly, yeah. uh, you know, there were other things happening in in the uh, city uh, for the last couple months. So now that all of those distractions are out of the way, uh, you know, people are kind of stuck with baseball at least for another couple of weeks until the Eagles get going with training camp. So you are forced to care about this at least for a couple of weeks, even if you don't. Uh, it'll be the only thing that people talk about, especially because. The Phillies are rumored to be on the brink of potentially acquiring Manny Machado, Ross. And how do you feel about that? I love Manny. You know, it's it's weird. Like when I think back a couple of years and, and thought about what free agency was going to look like in 2018, I just remember thinking Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper. Uh, I actually ran into Bryce Harper once in D.C. and um, at a place called Ted's Bulletin. And if you've never been to uh, Ted's Bulletin in D.C., I would say by far they have the best breakfast in the entire place, like in the entirety of the District of Columbia. It's incredible. Had a uh, a short rib mac and cheese, grilled cheese on Texas toast. Incredible. And I look over and and my wife and I just kind of look off in the distance. We're like, that guy's got really big arms, like really big arms. And his forearms were like the size of my thighs. And I see that he's, I forget what injury he had that year. But the Nationals were out playing in Colorado. And I'm like, that guy's too built. He looks too much like Thor to uh, to be a regular human. And, you know, we, we kind of walked past at one point. We both decide that we're going to take trips to the bathroom and figure out if that's who it was. And that absolutely was Bryce Harper. And I just remember a couple of years ago thinking, man, like, Bryce Harper would be awesome on the Phillies. And... You know, oddly enough, in this did, did like, you, did you actually talk to him, or did you just walk by him nah, a couple just, times, kind of walk by him out from afar, just yeah. kind of walk by? I was gonna be like, Man, so big uh, arms, yes, very dude, big arms, it's, and like I, the upper arm, I don't even know, but the forearms were gigantic. I just like that's, I guess that's what you need to hit a ball like 450 feet. I don't know, but I, I, I guess I'm excited about Machado. I just never really thought, you know, even a couple of years ago, I didn't think that there was any shot that they would one, make a trade for him, or two, be able to go out 
and get him in free agency, to me, it just never struck me as, as something that was going to be as much of a need because I figured that between J.P. Crawford and Sky Kingery, uh, we would have our, our infield of the future set. And that was like two years ago what my thinking was. And now, you know, watching the way that things have kind of evolved or devolved this year, uh, the, the need for Machado is certainly there. I always thought that the Phillies were on the same path as the, the Cubs were a couple years ago. And it always seemed to me like they were going to promote all of these kids. And if the kids could prove that they warranted that big free agent acquisition or that big veteran splash, that they would make a move. And when you considered that they brought Andy McPhail here, Joe Jordan, Matt Klintak, all with Orioles ties, I have thought maybe for, for at least over a year or so, and I know that I'm certainly not alone in this this assumption, but I always kind of felt like the Phillies were going to have interest in Machado when he became available. And it, it sort of felt to me like this was the guy that they've been planning for for a while now. I do think in light of how things have played out over the first 95 games of this season, that the time frame has been moved up a little bit. I, I didn't think uh, as recently as probably the middle uh, or end of June that there was any chance that the Phillies would use prospect resources at the trade deadline to try to acquire Manny Machado. But now here we are, and we wake up on July 16th, and, and it almost feels like it's going to be a disappointment if they don't get him. So this thing has escalated rather quickly. Um, and I think that the plan has changed a little bit in recent weeks with the Phillies getting into first place in this division. And, and what's kind of a, it's, it's not a very good NL East. I know a lot of people are saying it's a wide open national league. The Dodgers have gotten hot lately. The Cubs now are on a roll. Um, they're up five in the loss column on the Milwaukee Brewers who are injured and a mess uh, over the last two weeks. Those two teams are very good. And so if the Phillies want to win the division, I think that they need to make an a-, a major acquisition. And if if they want to contend in the National League, if that's going to be the conversation, which it doesn't have to be, but if that's what we're if that's what we're going to talk about here, they can't exist as is. And a minor upgrade or two to the bench or in the bullpen isn't going to be enough. Uh, so Yeah, it it to me it, it feels like, you know, they're they're in this like kind of weird situation where like even two weeks ago Maybe it was even, it might have even been a week ago, we had our, our informal crossing broad gathering at, uh, at Kevin's house. And the idea of Machado being traded for and, and giving up legitimate you know, prospects and you know, potential players that are on this roster right now came up. And I feel like you know, even then I said I, I was pro-Kawhi and I was anti-Machado. Like to me, it made more sense as a uh, I guess from the macro perspective, I was like, well, you know, if you make a trade for like Kawhi Leonard, you're getting a, a year of him to try to sell him on what this team is. And based on, you know, the the assets that w- that would include or that have been reportedly discussed, I felt like that was worth it because you have a full season. And with Machado, even a week ago, I was like, well, I don't know if it makes a ton of sense. So, you know, part I don't care if you're parting with Franco. I don't care if you're getting rid of Cesar Hernandez. Um, I don't see them trading Eflin. So then it's kind of like, you know, you're putting together one of these minor league packages and names that were kind of bantered about were like Adonis Medina, who's down um, in Clearwater. And, you know, I was reading about the Yankees trying to make a late push and the fact that that could, you know, raise the price. So then, you know, maybe like uh, Franklin Cologne comes up or uh, Gamboa, the young shortstop. I'm like, okay, well, all of these guys, you know, if you look at the prospects ranks, 
you know, Medina is really highly thought of. We know that they don't want to trade Sixto Sanchez, and apparently his name has not come up in a in a conversation. But like some of these other guys, like if you're talking about the seventh or eighth uh, ranked prospect in the system, it's a deep system. Like I, I don't know if it's that bad. The whole thing is, do you think you could could sell Machado on wanting to be here? And you know, knowing that the scout who drafted him and uh, and Britain, come to think of it, um, and the fact that Andy McPhail's here, that Klentak is here, and all these guys had worked with you know, these players are worked in a front office with, with Machado. To me, it, it just kind of seems like a perfect fit. Now, the whole thing is, do you think, once again, similar to Kawhi, do you think that you're able to take the relationships that you had previously built with, with the guy? And do you think that in a two-month window, you're going to be able to convince him uh, through winning and, and through the culture that you've built? And, you know, the ballpark will be filled up. Like, that's one thing that Kyle and I have kind of railed about. I mean, the, the ballpark is going to fill up if Manny Machado's in the lineup. So, do you think that those two months can, you know, do the ultimate sell job and make you a, a legitimate contender in the Manny Machado sweepstakes and free agency? And honestly, I just don't know yet. Uh, and I think it's that's completely that's a completely fair conclusion. I th- I think the issue here, and this is something that people have to keep in mind, uh, free agency didn't go too well for the players last season. Um, a lot of big name guys uh, stayed on the market until very late in the process. Uh, J.D. Martinez, who is, has been an absolute monster for the Red Sox this season, signed very late. I believe it was the end of February. Obviously, Jake Arrieta was the big name free agent pitcher. Phillies don't grab him until the middle of March. And I think what you need to understand is that because those, those deals weren't there, for the, the big ticket free agents, I think a lot of people in baseball on the player side of things and the agents are going to look at Manny Machado and say, you need to cash in. You need to get all of the money that you can kind of reset the market and drive the money back towards the players because that's something that didn't happen a, a, a season ago or this past winter. Now, Manny Machado is a completely different player than someone like Jake Arrieta or even a guy like J.D. Martinez, despite his production those guys just didn't have the same type of hype around them, not as young, you know, Manny Machado is 26 years old. So I think, though, to kind of take a very complicated issue with a lot of different variables, Manny Machado, I think, is going to take the biggest deal at the end of the day. And teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Phillies, maybe the Yankees, if they get creative, are going to be the teams that throw that money at him. And and that's the bottom line. Now, Manny Machado might really like the clubhouse. He might like the atmosphere. He might enjoy guys on the team. He's comfortable with guys in the front office. And that's all fine and well. But I do think that ultimately it's going to come down to the biggest offer more so than did did he jive with the culture and the feel of the clubhouse. So the Phillies have to take this into consideration. I, I can kind of provide you with a reason not to do this deal, which is if you've, if you've watched them over the past week, it, it sort of looks like this lineup is more than one piece away. Even a Manny Machado, a, a guy that has an OPS over 9, 960, uh, 24 homers, 65, uh, yeah, 65 RBIs. I mean, he's been he's been an absolute monster. Now, you put him in the middle of this lineup, and then all of a sudden, this thing stretches out a little bit, and it's, a, it's certainly more dangerous. Uh, the Phillies are one of the worst teams in the National League in terms of slugging. Uh, I know they see a lot of pitches, but it's, it's a flawed lineup. He obviously brings a ton. He totally changes the dynamic of it, but... Are they still 
a championship contender even with just the acquisition of Manny Machado because I would argue they're still a late-inning bullpen guy away, uh, a guy that can get out left-handed hitters on a consistent basis because Adam Morgan is not that guy. Uh, I think that that has certainly proven to be true that, you know, to this point. Um, and, and their bench is woefully thin. Now, maybe by acquiring Machado, you knock Kingery to the bench and he becomes a utility guy for you. If J.P. Crawford isn't moved, then he comes back and is a bench option. I don't see a scenario in which both J.P. Crawford and Scott Kingery are playing on the bench for the remainder of this season. So I don't know if Franco's the guy that gets moved. There are a lot of different variables there. But regardless, this bench has concerns, and, and it's, it's a very thin thin bench. So they're going to have to, to rectify that in the coming weeks as well. And if they don't do that, I'm not sure that Manny Machado's acquisition for two months is, is really enough to change the landscape of this season for this team. So do you go in and use your minor league prospects in order to win a division, but probably not seriously compete for a National League pennant? So you have to weigh that out. And is the recruiting aspect of this worth it to you in that sense then? The only thing I'll say on the flip side of that is if he goes to the Yankees, forget it. I feel like if he goes to New York, he doesn't leave. And that's my, that's my sneaking suspicion because he's going to be productive. They're going to win, and then they're going to find a way to throw that money at him. Uh, oh, so, so then, so it's then a they dangerous become, yeah. proposition. They become Major League Baseball's uh, Golden State Warriors that you like to rail against. Yes, and uh, I mean, I think they're, they're already ha- like they're I almost, there, I almost feel like know? they're all almost there. And then I realized the fact that like Boston, Boston's, Boston's even like ahead of them. Thirty-seven games. I think they're thirty-seven like, games God. over five hundred. Yeah. yeah, like there's there's a a guy that I worked with at a at a pool like years ago, who's the only Yankees fan that I know. And he's always putting up like the newest video from the Yankees account. And I saw, wow, Yankees go 30 games over 500. I'm like, my God, they must have the best record in baseball. Pull up the AL East rankings. And it's like, and at, at that point, it was like Boston's 36 games over 500. What the What's happening? And like, I know that that. Yeah, so that imagine being 62. Jeez. Imagine being 62 and 33, 29 games over. And you're four and a half games out of first place at the All-Star break. I mean, the That's, Yankees went six and four over their last ten games, and they've lost three games in the standings to the Red Sox. So, yeah, and lest anyone forget that, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. There was somebody I was talking to recently. They're like, uh, I don't know why the Phillies don't just go out and get, you know, one of these transcendent bats. I said, well, because not every team can go and take their Hall of Fame shortstop and install them as an owner of a team, and then, you know, essentially, you know, trade them a bag of balls for, yeah. you know, a Giancarlo Stanton. So. I don't. I don't know exactly what you want. Like Jimmy, I don't know. We get Jimmy Rollins on a plane, and and uh, I don't even know where he would send him at this point. Yeah, it's good to have friends in high places. Um, here's a, here's one thing that. So you brought up JD Martinez. I I kind of want to unpack a lot of what you said, but JD Martinez was a guy I had on my fantasy team last year, and I loved. He was awesome. I don't understand why it took so long for him to sign, and I don't remember the Phillies ever being connected to him, and I I also don't get that, especially. You know, I know that you've written before. It it seemed like the Phillies thought that they were going to be able to get more out of the uh, Altair and Nick Williams platoon. And I, I don't know if that's the reason that they never, you know, tried to pursue him. But to me, he was a, an awesome bat, a good outfield option. And if you had gone out last year and, and made that signing, that to me would have, you know, certainly made this lineup better. And it, it would have taken some pressure off the kids to uh, to develop so quickly. Yeah, I mean he had a uh, he had a monster 2017. Um, he hit 45 homers. He hit over 300. OPS was over 1,000. 
I guess let me throw this at you because one of the things that I, I see a lot on Twitter um, and, and people are starting to talk about it on the radio now that the Phillies matter again is this idea that Reese Hoskins was displaced and it's had a negative impact on his offensive production. And if you would have went out and signed an outfielder and played Hoskins at first, he wouldn't be uh, you know homerless in his last 15 games or he wouldn't be hitting under 260 and he would only have or you know he might have 20 home runs instead of 14. I don't know if that's a fair assessment. I'm not sure that Reese Hoskins playing left field has had a negative impact on his offense. It may have. I would argue that he had a really strong start to the season and he was playing left field then. And when he came back from his injury, he was playing left field when he was red hot. So I don't know if those offensive inconsistencies really have anything to do with him being in left field. However, uh, you would certainly like guys to play at their natural positions. And Reese Hoskins is a brutal brutal defensive left fielder so you add a guy like JD Martinez who is a a natural outfielder you play Hoskins at first in hindsight I'm sure that this is something that the Phillies would have liked to have considered especially in light of the fact that Carlos Santana is now hitting 209 and yes he's third in in baseball in um in walks and that's great and the on-base percentage is fine and Carlos Santana is not a 300 hitter uh, he just never has been, so you have to understand what he is to an extent. But 209 is insufficient, and uh, the way that the Phillies are utilizing him in the lineup right now is very questionable. You have a guy that, that doesn't really um, put the ball in play effectively uh, at times. You know, he doesn't he hasn't had a lot of production in terms of batted balls. Um, he's not knocking in a ton of runs right now, and it, you know, if he's hitting second for you and he's getting on base and taking his walks, that's that's okay. But when he's in the four hole and you know he's working walks with runners on first and second and one out, rather than knocking those runners in, you know he he's been a little bit underwhelming that way. So yeah, missing out on a guy like JD Martinez is is a tough pill to swallow. With that said, uh, I'm sure that there are 29 other or 28 other teams outside of the Red Sox and Phillies that that are also thinking that to themselves right now as well. So I want to let, let's just have a moment real quick. And he did get paid. I mean, he did get he paid. Did. So, I mean, he's making over $20 million a year for the next five years, and, and he's not young. You know, he'll turn 31 uh, later on this year. Remind me to come back to the money thing in a second, because that's mm-hmm. that's really where I want to take this. But really quick. So, you know, you look at Hoskins' stats, and, and I've been really big in, I don't understand why they displaced Hoskins and why they've kind of played this jerk-around game with Kingery all season. And I, I don't think it's good for the development of young players. Hoskins does not know what he's doing out in left field. And to me, I think that that kind of kills your confidence a bit. And I think you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. But to me, you know, if, if you were going to jerk a guy around, Kingery wasn't the one to do it with. You know, a lot of people thought that he was going to end up in the minors. And maybe after 30 games or so, if he was if he was crushing a triple A, they'd bring him up. But the fact that they, you know, kind of threw a lot of pressure on him, I think, by giving him the contract they did before the season uh, he was raking, what was he hitting, like 386 or something like that, I think, in uh, in spring training. He was just tearing the cover off the ball. He looked great. He looked poised. He was taking pitches. He was doing a great job. He was getting on base. And then they decided, like, no, let's make him a utility infielder. And for me, like, Cesar Hernandez was always the guy who should have been the utility guy. He's played long enough in this league. He's played in the outfield in, in some stretches in, in the pros. He can play short. He can play second. He can play third. And I thought Franco would be the guy who'd probably, you know, get sent to the bench. I thought that Crawford uh, would be playing short. Kingery would be at second. And and that would probably leave you with Cesar Hernandez at third if if Franco looked like trash. And, you know, it doesn't feel like a lot of people are, are kind of calling Carlos Santana onto the carpet because they, they look at his power numbers. 
And they go, all right, well, you know, the, the guy's hit 14 home runs this year. He's got 52 RBI. You know, to your point, he's walking plenty. But his 209 batting average is a career low. And, you know, for for as, as awful, I guess, as this comparison might seem, Ryan Howard never hit 209. The worst Ryan Howard ever did, uh, if we don't include the last season, which I the 2016 season, I, I think was... a that's not even a shell of him even you know even if we wanted to include that year okay he hit 196 okay before that like ryan howard's worst year prior to that had been like 219 and that was in 2012 and that's when everybody wanted to kill him because you know he was coming off of uh you know a couple disappointing series uh in the postseason he came off that achilles injury and it felt like people were ready to sacrifice ryan howard to the baseball gods plenty of times (laughs) And, you know, even after that season, like, he came back in 2013, he hit 266. And, and you know, like, let's say he floated somewhere around, like, the 225 batting average the last few years. I mean, that's after a career in which he brought you a World Series title. He got you back. He carried a lineup for plenty of years. And, you know, we were ready to get rid of him. I mean, the, the fans were ready to cut him. This wasn't even a let's try to get value back. It was let's cut Ryan Howard. Well, it doesn't seem like the flip side is happening, and I don't know exactly what Carlos Santana has done in his time here to buy himself so much, uh, you know, so much slack. But I just don't get it. With Ryan Howard, it was that he was hurt. The production wasn't there. The strikeouts, as this team kind of crashed to the basement over over a couple year span after the success that they had ending in 2011, I, I think that he was kind of the the poster boy for the the party's over. And, I mean, when you just look at the inability to put the ball in play and then the contract that he gets, and I think a lot of people felt that that was a prohibitive contract that really sunk the Phillies in a lot of other ways in terms of flexibility, I think that that's the issue. Now, he obviously earned, I I think, over a four- or five-year stretch in the mid-2000s through that playoff run that they had or that string of five five, uh, NLEs titles in a row. He he earned, I think, a little bit more – I don't know, patience respect. than what he, yeah, respect, I guess is the perfect word for it, that, than what he got from the fans. But I think that with Carlos Santana, he puts the ball in play. I think that's the biggest difference. I mean, he only has 56 strikeouts this season. And the thing is, he's 351 on base percentage. So like I said, if he's hitting leadoff or hitting second and he's getting on base, he's still technically doing his job. But when you have a 747 OPS, it just, that's not, that's league average. That's that's league average for first baseman. And so that's that's really been the issue with Carlos Santana. The walks are great, but you need you need a little bit more thump out of them. You need a little bit more production that way and they haven't gotten it. So, what could you get for Carlos Santana? On the open market right now. Yeah, like right, trade? right now. Yep. Oh jeez. Um I mean, he's still owed uh, I guess you know, he's still owed 40 million dollars over the next 2 years beyond 2018. Uh, not much. You know, there was a reason that the, the Phillies were the team that ended up getting him uh, because there weren't a lot of teams willing to pay him or there may not have been any team willing to pay him that. Certainly the Indians, where you know, who he had a lot of success with, uh, weren't willing to pay him that. So uh, I think that the contract very much uh, would, would be a limiting factor unless the Phillies were to, to send him off with money, which they, they have shown um, the willingness to do in the past. I don't just as a... I guess as a lead into this, I don't foresee this being a thing. I don't think they're going to trade Carlos Santana. Uh, but 
I, I would say the return would be very minimal to answer your question, uh, especially if they didn't kick in any money. I don't know that there would be a team that would take him at $20 million a year uh, through 2020. So let's just pretend for a second, because now I, I want to watch the world burn. <laughs> so I know that Roman Quinn's hurt, which sucks, because I think Roman Quinn would have ended up being a, a good guy to kind of fill in there. Is, uh, is it really that unattractive to think about cutting bait with Santana at this point, sliding Hoskins back to first where he was comfortable, kind of reestablishing the the uh, infield with Kingery and, you know, I guess whenever Crawford comes back or keeping Cesar in as, as short or whatever, is there any any kind of intelligent conversation or intelligent argument to be made that eliminating Santana from this from this lineup and kind of going back to the kids and then making a deal for Machado, maybe you put like a, a Dylan Cousins out in left field or maybe you break up the platoon with Altair and Williams and make them both everyday players. Uh, if Roman Quinn ever gets healthy, like maybe he gets some time. Like, is is there anything that that says to you that that might be a good way to go? Because honestly, like when I look at the way that Hoskins plays left field, all, all I know is his defense is going to kill you multiple times in a playoff series if you're lucky enough to get there. And it it feels like it happens every so many days. And it's not just Hoskins; like the the entire defense. Let sucks. me throw numbers at that. He has a negative sixteen defensive runs saved according to Fangraphs this season, which is worst uh, amongst left fielders in the National League. Um, and actually, uh, across baseball, in terms of guys that have played the uh, qualified time, uh, he's actually tied with Trey Mancini of Baltimore uh, as the worst defensive outfielder or defensive left fielder in terms of defensive run save. So we're not just saying, well, yeah, he doesn't look good out there. I mean, advanced analytics, if you, if you trust defensive metrics, uh, also bear that out as well. Um, to, to your question, no, uh, I would not do that. I mean, as, as far as Dylan Cousins goes, he is not a major league baseball player. Uh, I the power numbers when he was with Hoskins a couple years ago, uh, I know were attractive. I know that people got excited about his power potential. Um, he cannot make consistent enough contact at the major league level to be a functional bench piece or starter uh, at this level. It's so he is a non-entity as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and if you look at the lineup, first of all, this is a first-place team, so I don't know that I would want to make – you know, you said watch the world burn. I, I don't know that I want to make drastic changes to a team that's 11 games over 500 at the at the All-Star break. Now, they have issues, and uh, I'd be the first to tell you that they have issues. But if you take Carlos Santana out of this lineup right now for as underwhelming uh, as he's been at times, I mean, his production is is necessary. I mean, if you don't have him playing and you have Aaron Altair on the field, uh, you know, playing 75, 80% of the time where he becomes an everyday starter opposite of Nick Williams, that's that's dangerous. I mean, Aaron Altair is a guy that I think was a little bit overrated in this city coming into 2018. People kind of thought about him like he was going to be this 35 home run guy from the right side. No, uh, you know, he really has never been that. Now, he has certainly been shockingly bad this year. And I know there probably are some people that are like, well, with more consistent playing time, maybe his production gets better. Maybe, but he's had more than ample time to prove that he can swing it at this level, and he hasn't really done it. And this year has been a complete disaster. I would actually argue the other way. If the Phillies go out and upgrade their bench, Aaron Altair may not be here 
uh, or he may, you know, he may find himself at, at Lehigh Valley. I, I think that that's where he's heading. He has had an absolutely horrible year uh, by almost every measure. And um, so he's not somebody that I would want to award more playing time to so I can just have Reese Hoskins play first base and, and not kill me in left field. So I don't know that I would want to do those things. Also, a lineup that features J.P. Crawford, who's hovering around 200 batting average, and I know he works the pitchers, and I know that he can get on base, and that's all fine and well. And then combine that with Scott Kingery, who has an OPS south of 630. Um, it, it, that's That lineup is is not a playoff lineup. And so where they're at right now, that's not something I would be interested in. If this team was 15 games under 500, yeah, I mean maybe that would be something they'd think about, but as I might it not is, have art- yeah, I might not have articulated this. I was saying Santana as a trade based on you also getting Machado. I'm not saying it's part of the same deal, but okay. like if, if you were going to get Machado to kind of solidify that that center part of the infield. Um and then that would allow you to you know, consider bringing Hoskins back in, putting him out to left. Because then I would think, even at in worst case scenario, he takes over at short. Cesar Hernandez can go out and play left field. Baltimore is not done, going to want. In the past, I mean, Baltimore is so. not going to want Carlos Santana. They're yeah, yeah, I'm not, saying yeah. separate deals. He, oh, so okay. well, that's, this is a lot going on now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's two trades. Like I'm, I'm kind of wondering if if Santana can get you anything that you could then use in a package for Manny Machado. So, like, let's say for some reason the Phillies are hung up on one of their prospects. They don't want to include Jalen Ortiz. Um, they go out and, and they make a, a salary dump-ish kind of move where they offer to pay off. I guess the flip of this would be they, they go to pay off, you know, a, a considerable amount of Santana's contract to whomever they trade him to, uh, and they pick up a couple prospects back. They use that as part of a, a sweetener to the Manny Machado package. Machado comes in, plays short, which I still don't think is a good idea. He should be playing third. Um, but he comes in, he plays short. You can move Cesar Hernandez out to the outfield where he's played in the past in the pros and you make do with that for the rest of the year you put Hoskins back at first and then maybe he's able to capture some of the magic that he had last year like that to, that to me I, I I could kind of wrap my head around maybe it doesn't make sense but but again like I think Hoskins you know defensive in inefficiencies or defensive whatever is is just so bad at this point that it doesn't make sense like to go into a playoff series knowing that you have somebody who just does not play a good left field um, he makes Pat Burrell look almost like Bobby Abreu's I, gold, gold glove uh, season. I, I, don't, I, I don't disagree with you there. I just don't think that that's going to be something. I mean, you want to use the word bold. That would be bold. I, I think that maybe that's something that they revisit when they get to the offseason. Um, but I just I don't, think, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, I just don't foresee that playing out right now. So let's talk about Hoskins uh, absolutely never getting back to first base. There was a report over the weekend and this is where I wanted to come back around to money. So it came out, I think it was, it was John Heyman, right, who said that don't be surprised if the Phillies make a run at both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado in the offseason and said that John Middleton has been the biggest motivating factor. A driving to force. Driving force, that was it. Uh, to making a big splash, not only at, at the uh, trade deadline right now and trying to acquire Machado, but that he could presumably go after both Harper and Machado in the offseason. Now, to me, Harper, I, I, I miss the days of Harper being a catcher. I thought, man, like when you think about the the kind of value that that guy could add to a lineup when you're getting that kind of production from the catcher spot, like, of course, like that, that's like Mike Piazza kind of level stuff. Um, but if if you're the Phillies, you know, John Middleton to me is like the the one owner. I think Anthony and I talked about this on Snow the Goalie last week. 
when John Middleton comes out and makes a public comment, he's the only owner in the city that I honestly trust. When he comes out and says that he wants to make a move, like I, I, I believe he's going to do it. We don't really know who, who the uh, the face of the Flyers is at this point. I don't, I, even though the Eagles won a Super Bowl, I don't totally trust what Jeffrey Lurie says. I'm not so sure that he's so, you know, in tune with what's going on that he can, you know, be taken at 100% of, of face value. I know that Jay Sugarman with the union is is a joke. And I know that, like, when Josh Harris gets in front of the media for the Sixers, like, I, I don't really believe him, and, and he certainly doesn't belong anywhere near a camera. So when when Middleton comes out and says, you know, bring me back my trophy, like he did a few years ago, to me, he seems like the guy who's the most motivated in the city to make a big move and to win another title. And if that means that he's going to splash out, what I'm guessing is going to be somewhere around like $40 million a year to keep both of these guys away from the Yankees or the Dodgers. You know, is is that something that you're comfortable with going forward? Because I know that if, if you're going out and getting both of those guys, I think you can make do with some of the kids filling out the rest of the uh, the spots in your lineup. Um. Let me read you a quote from him uh, that was in a uh, Todd Zalecki piece uh, from February. Uh, I would tell you whether we get it done before the start of the season or we do it during the season, I'm hoping we're playing so damn well by early July that I get to look at Matt, being Matt Klintak, and say, Matt, we're in the hunt now. What the hell are you going to do come trading deadline to get us over the hump? If we're there, my guess is Matt will probably look at everything a little bit differently, as I think he should. Um, as it relates to what you're about to see over the next two weeks, I think that John Middleton, uh, that, that report from uh, Jerry Krasnick, who was the one that said that he's become a driving force, I have no doubt that John Middleton has asserted himself in this situation in some way, shape, or form, and has basically said, if we can go out and we can put ourselves in position to make ourselves a contender this season, do it. Uh, I think that John Middleton very badly wants to win. Uh, I agree with what you said. Uh, I think that he is uh, genuine in his desire to win. Uh, this is a team that, despite being pretty bad the last few years and, and not having great attendance, has made a ton of money. Uh, their revenue is, is up. They have made money. They're in a position to spend. Um, they are motivated to spend. So I would not be surprised if the Phillies went out and and made multiple major free agent signings um, and spent a significant amount of money. And if, if you're going to pay Manny Machado, I would imagine somewhere probably north of $30 million, Bryce Harper is going to require, I would imagine, a similar type of per-year commitment. Um, with that said, uh, I love that. I love that the owner wants to win, and I, I love that the owner is saying the things that he's saying and and that he'll spend money to do it. That's great. No fan uh, would ever not want that. My only concern is that Bryce Harper may not be the right guy to spend that money on. And and hear me out here because Bryce Harper, it feels like he's been around you know forever, but he's he's still only 25 years old, uh, and he's just a little bit younger than Manny Machado. These guys are both theoretically entering the prime of their careers. The only thing that concerns me is what you're seeing happen with Harper this season. And he's hitting 214 right now. And if you look at the rest of the numbers, his on-base percentage is still he's good. still an upgrade right? over Carlos Santana. Sure, but that's yeah, not what no, you're, you know. No, no, no. Go ahead. You know, that's not really what you're looking at. You're looking at how am I going to utilize my financial resources and what's the biggest return that I can get for them. And that's what any you know, anybody in, this, in any sport is going to look at. 
I just look at the fact that the way that the game is being played defensively right now, I think has had an adverse impact on him. Um, the, the home run production is still there, 23 homers. He's still slugging uh, 468. The OPS is 833. It's, it's not bad. Those numbers aren't bad. They're certainly not really in line with, with his monster season of a year ago and, and 2015. But they're not so far disproportionate that you go, well, wow, he's broken. Bryce Harper's not broken, but the way that the shifts go now and, and the way that the game is being played, I mean, shifts are, and Scott Boris talked about this. He said it's bias against left-handed hitters, the way that defense is being played in Major League Baseball right now. And, you know, Bryce Harper is learning that lesson firsthand. You know, so he, to me, I just don't know, man. I, I don't know. There's been some questions. I know that anonymous, anonymous scouts have put out there that, that they don't think that he's a winning type of player. Um you know, he certainly has not won anything in Washington, despite being on one of the most talented teams over the last six, seven years. Uh, I don't know if you can, you know, solely blame him for that, but there are some questions about Bryce Harper. If they went out and signed Bryce Harper, we'll be all jacked up about it. Hell yeah. And, and would I be excited? Sure. But if you're going to drop $30, $40 million on Manny Machado per year, which looks like a, a possibility here for sure, I just don't know that I would double down and do it with Bryce Harper as well. I would want to leave myself a little bit of flexibility. So if you're going to do that, you better make sure that you have some wiggle room elsewhere. Uh, that's all I would say about that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. I found the fact that Harper's had such a fall off. Um, you know, to me, that that says in, in conventional wisdom that it should lower his price, but Knowing the teams that are going to get involved for him, I, I don't see his market value taking that much of a hit. I don't either, especially when you consider that baseball is kind of um, lacking in star power right now. And yep. even with the season that he's having, I mean, he's he is a star uh, in a league with few of them. And so when you look at the the power potential, he, he can still hit you 40 to 50 homers. He's still a productive hitter in a lot of other ways, uh, maybe not traditional ways, but still has a lot of value that way. And, and the way that you can market and sell him um, is going to be worth a lot to whatever team signs him. So I think that he's going to get that bonkers deal that we've suspected he may get for, for the last few years. I, I still so think that'll happen as well. Fast forward a year, the Phillies signed Machado and Harper. Where, where, would, uh, <laughs> where does Harper slot in? I mean, Where he does can, he slide in defensively? He, you put him in right? He can play center and right. I mean, I guess to that end, he could play left field too. But I, I, would, I would have him in right field. I think that that's ideally where you, where you play him. Where do, and then who's in left field? I don't know. I mean, how much do you like Carlos Santana? You know, because if you really, truly like Carlos Santana and, and you're committing him to, to be your starting first baseman for the next two years, then, then Reese Hoskins still has to play left field. <laughs> You know, um, with Harper and Wright and Herrera and center, that's a, a decent outfield. You can you can get away with a bad defensive left fielder if you're strong in other areas. Yeah. The problem is with the Phillies right now is that they are they are not strong up the middle. You know, Herrera is fine, but and and Cesar Hernandez is okay. He's he's about a league average defensive second baseman. But Scott Kingery is is a below average shortstop. He's been better in recent weeks, uh, but he's still. He operates at a net negative for you defensively. Michael Franco, if he's he's the third baseman, um, you know, uh, not so, in love with yeah, his defense. Let, and Manny Machado to that so end is your Machado, shortstop next year. Then then it's worse. I mean, he, he's that, the worst like, defensive shortstop in terms of defensive run saved in all of Major League Baseball this season. So, all right, but can we can we be honest? Like, I I still feel like this is just a it's a a strong arm tactic from Machado, knowing that a shortstop. 
would make more money on the open market than a third baseman would. Like that that to me is the the only reason that he's saying he wants to play short. And so like if if you're Machado and you really think that the market value is better for shortstops than third baseman and you go into the offseason saying it, you get your big payday and then the Phillies say next year, you know, look Manny, we we really would prefer to pay you or like when they go into negotiations like look Manny, like we definitely want to play you at third. That that would be our preference. If you need to play short then then we'll we'll do it obviously, but we think that you're a better third baseman, and we think ultimately you fit in better there. But here's $40 million per year. How do you feel? He's going to play third base, right? Like, is he such a prideful guy? Is he so stuck on the idea of playing short that he would turn down a massive deal? Or do you really think that he genuinely believes that he's a better shortstop than the numbers suggest? Is it? Are there two teams that are willing to pay him that money and one will let him play shortstop? Because that could be a determining factor. Like, well, we the don't Yankees know, can't, right? Because like they're know. not going to move Didi Gregorius from I short. I don't know. The Yankees, right? you just never count the Yankees out with anything. That's, yeah, but that's like, one Didi's, thing I've learned over over time. Yeah, he's very productive Didi's shortstop. Really, sure, really, really good. He's not Manny Machado, though. He's not. So... I mean, I don't know. You would think that, yeah, I, when I first heard this, I thought it was more of a, a negotiation tactic. That's what I thought, too. But, I mean, he does seem hell-bent on playing shortstop. And if that's the case, at least in the short term, it looks like that's where he's going to play. And the reports are that the Phillies would be comfortable with that. So, I don't know what they plan to do. I don't know how Cesar Hernandez factors into this. We talk about trading guys that are under contract and Carlos Santana. Cesar Hernandez is still a wild card in this entire thing. He's a guy that I thought was going to be moved coming into this season. If you really, truly love Scott Kingery. And the Phillies seem to be in love with him because they're still trotting him out there every day despite very limited production offensively. Then is he the second baseman? Do you move Cesar Hernandez? Now, I'm not in love with the idea of taking away a competent leadoff hitter, you know, out of this lineup right now going down the stretch. It's not something I don't want to mess with the chemistry of this team too much. What I want to do, ideally, if we're talking about a Manny Machado deal, which is really what the focus should be right now, if we're talking about adding Manny Machado to this team this season, He's, he's going to play shortstop, uh, and he's probably going to knock Scott Kingery out of the starting lineup. And that's probably what should happen. Boo. You know? Scott Kingery is a guy that I love. You talked about his, his spring training, and he was a monster, right? Well, last year, he was a monster all season. He, he really had earned, basically, that promotion uh, to Philadelphia by the end of last season. He could have been up here with Reese Hoskins and J.P. Crawford as well. Um, I, he's a guy that I think has... A, a tremendous upside. I, I think that he's a, a very versatile player. He, obviously, the speed is a plus. But the offensive game just has not materialized this season. It doesn't mean that it will. And you shouldn't write off a guy after 350 plate appearances. But if you're serious about winning the National League East this season, then I don't think Scott Kingery is a guy that can play shortstop for you every day right now. I don't see that. So, again, when they get to the offseason, they're going to have to figure out what are they doing with him? How does Hernandez figure into the equation? But right now, I think the focus is – Let's not screw with this too much. We want to add, and we don't want to add at the expense of subtracting at the big league level. And so I think that that's why you see that really seems to be where all the rumors are stemming from. And plus, Baltimore doesn't really want back big league pieces. They want young, controllable pitching, which is the whole reason the Phillies are connected to the Orioles on this one anyway, because they have young, controllable starting pitching. And that's, that's what I think is going to ultimately drive this trade. And that's why insiders seem to believe that the Phillies are one of the more likely teams, not only because they want Machado, everyone does, but because they have the pieces necessary to get the deal done. 
So you look at guys like Eniel De Los Santos and, and Medina and Jojo Romero, Cole Irvin. These are the guys that I think are going to power this trade. So I don't think you're going to see a significant alteration to the composition of this lineup other than add. Jojo Romero has such a nice mustache. Before we get off of <laughs> off of potential trades, so Zach Britton's name had been brought up as part of a Machado deal. He's certainly somebody who can come in and, and help to fix some of the, the back end of the bullpen woes. If the Phillies walk out of this trade deadline only having acquired Zach Britton, is this, is it a success, or do you feel like they've left something on the table? Does he do <sighs> enough? Does he do enough to, to kind of help them in a playoff push? Just Zach Britton alone. Yeah. Because that, that, to me, seems like it would be a massive disappointment. It's a huge gamble. If you don't add to this lineup um, someone in the starting lineup uh, that, that you tried out there every day, a difference-making bat, uh, I don't think they're going to win the division. I, I still think that Washington can figure it out. There's still enough talent there as poorly as they've played. And uh, I think that the Braves are legit, you know. Uh, they've come back to earth a little bit against some tougher competition in recent weeks, but I don't think that's enough. Um, Britain is, is, would be a big addition uh, I just think that it needs to come with an upgrade to the offense. Um, the Orioles have kind of floated out there. There was a report from Ken Rosenthal that they don't want to trade Machado and Britton in the same deal. They think they can get back more uh, for those two guys in separate deals. Now, that doesn't mean they won't do it, um, but he is a he is a guy that, that if you look at his numbers this season, you go, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't really get it. There are a couple things that you need to know about Zach Britton if you haven't followed him down in Baltimore, and I don't blame you if you haven't because they're a terrible baseball team. But from a, a three-year stretch through 2015 through 2017, uh, he was one of the best relievers in all of baseball. I mean, he was absolutely lights out. In 170 uh, innings pitched in three years, he had a 1.59 ERA, held opposing hitters to a 207 batting average, 536. OPS, uh, 1.05 whip, and 9.6 strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, lefties only hit 180 against him over that three-year stretch uh, with a 4.73 OPS. He's the real deal. He's an elite closer, 66 saves and 69 save opportunities, and he was a perfect 47 to 47 uh, in 2015. 15, I believe it was, or 2016. So the guy has um, closing experience. He is lights out against left-handed hitters. Uh, he is a great relief pitcher. He hurt his Achilles uh, at the end of last season, cut his season short, and he didn't pitch until June. And when he first came back, he struggled a little bit. Um, but in his last seven games, he's pitched seven innings. He's only allowed three hits, six strikeouts, uh, a whip south of one, and he's three for three in saves. Um, struggled a little bit in June, his first six games uh, off the DL. So he's, he's starting to get it. The velocity's back up. He was only throwing about 93 miles an hour when he first returned off injury. He's been uh, back up in the mid-90s, 95, 96 miles an hour consistently in his last couple appearances. So uh, the velocity's coming back. The production's coming back. He's a difference maker out of the bullpen. It may not be... Uh, it may not be Zach Britton that they ultimately end up with, but they need somebody like that. Um, you get him, and then you put a guy like Machado's bat into this lineup, and you make a savvy move to improve your bench uh, between now and the end of the season. And then you have a team that I think you can actually talk yourself into possibly winning the National League. Um, we're we're kind of there. It's, it's hard to win in Major League Baseball. And the Phillies um, find themselves in a situation in which they're first place at the trade deadline and or, you know, at the all-star break heading into the trade deadline. And 
it's a year earlier than we thought, but uh, it's kind of hard to pass up this opportunity. And I think that that's what they're trying to evaluate right now. How aggressive do they want to be? So now that I think we've done a good enough job of breaking all that down, I want to get to uh, the NBC Sports Philadelphia documentary, the story of the 08 Phillies. And we knew last week that this, this might not be the best produced thing we've ever seen. Kyle and I covered you know what's going on at NBC Sports Philadelphia a week ago, and we talked about the fact that we're both of the belief that using NBC slash Comcast's massive resources, and I, I've been really big on just the visual, the graphics packages that you can get as part of NBC, the production value that I think should come as, as part of an NBC network. Uh, we talked a week ago about how we thought that any documentary that they make, any kind of special that they make, should look like an ESPN 30 for 30. And I said at the time it might seem like hyperbole because it's won Emmys, it's won Peabody's, like that, that is an award-winning series. And so I'm not expecting the overall quality to be there, but I think visually the, the best thing that you can do is utilize what NBC has. And in the aftermath of that, we, uh, we heard from somebody who uh, I guess had previously been affiliated with the network who said, well, you know, it's, it's actually going to be a lot trickier than you think because Kyle and I had said, well, what about a, a 24-7 kind of thing like they used to do for the Winter Classic on HBO? Or, or what about doing some kind of a behind-the-scenes show weekly or monthly or whatever? And the person who reached out said, well, the biggest holdup in a lot of this is getting game footage is so expensive. And he's like, well, you know, and it's the same way for anything that NBC Sports Philly does, but like, you know, you could have the rights to the Phillies or the Sixers or the or the Flyers, but you still have to pay for that game footage. And the person said, you know, don't be surprised when the uh, the Phillies documentary ends up looking like it was made by a regional sports network and not the high quality that you might expect from NBC. And, you know, Sunday night, you know, turn it on. And, and I'm greeted by the voice of Amy Fadul, who I think seems like a nice lady. And I think she does a good job in, in whatever her role is at NBC Sports Philly. But that is not the voice I expected to hear. And the overall feeling that I got from it is it looks like the, the video yearbook that you watch during a rain delay. Uh, if it, it did not feel like something that's been worked on for a year or multiple years. It didn't feel like a special that really had had, had a lot of love put into it. And ultimately, it just kind of felt hollow. And it felt devoid of of a, a lot of moments that I think anybody who who tuned in were expecting. I think it's hard to um, it's hard to do documentaries. Uh, I I worked for NFL Films uh, for a couple years, and um, I was a production assistant on the history of the Denver Broncos and the Indianapolis Colts DVD packages that NFL Films put out, and you know. One of the assignments that I had was the, the Colts had this quarterback. His name was Burt Jones, and uh, he was very – he profiled very similarly to John Elway, actually. And so a producer said to me, listen, kid, we want you to go down into the vault, and we want you to pull up plays where Burt Jones looks like John Elway. And so there's a play in the Super Bowl where John Elway against the Packers is running for a first down, and he just gets, like, torpedoed into the air. And he just, like, helicopters, and he gets the first down, and he gets up, and he's fired up. I'm looking through just, like, footage, and my eyes are glazing over of Burt Jones, and I see a similar play where he takes off and runs and gets helicoptered just like Elway does. And so we take that shot, 
and we put it next to the Elway shot and we go, holy crap, you know, like we're trying to talk about the similarities between these two guys and here's this perfect shot of the two. Like that's the nuance that goes into making these types of of documentaries. You need that B-roll, you need the still footage, but you need the game footage too. And it's it's very hard to put these things together. I, I will say that. And I do know a little bit something about this. And I I respect the the attempt. Uh, I, I think that they did some things fairly well in this documentary. But you said it. It looks cheap. That's the only way that I, I can really... I can really frame this. I know that they don't have the technology of NFL films or they don't have five different camera angles shooting film on each play. They're really going through archive TV broadcasts, and that's what they were using um, as their B-roll footage and, and as their game footage. So I understand that it might not be as visually pleasing or appealing, but... They, they didn't use any game footage at all. Uh, their graphics package is, like you said, it looks like Philly's Clubhouse. It looks like one of their video yearbooks. It looks like the same thing that they would do on a, a you know, when they used to run Toyota Sports Night. It just looked like yep. an extended segment. And yep. I was disappointed in that. If you're going to market this thing as this, it's the 2008 championship documentary. You know, this is the the end-all be-all story of this team it just lacked in in the visual aspect I thought I, I think also in terms of just the storytelling arc they just totally glossed over the entire regular season it was it like didn't matter it was just like up oh, and it was August and uh you know and then we played a couple playoff games and and then we won the World Series and it was very strange I mean how do you capture the essence of a team and just completely ignore the first five months of the regular season, which was a very exciting season that had issues, that had problems that they had to overcome. You know, it, to me, just how do you how do you glance over that? You know, it's they like just, a movie without any kind of character development. It was very it's strange. Kind of, now, the one thing that they at, did, yeah. the one thing they did at the very beginning, which I liked, was they showed the the construction of the team, how kind of Ed Wade brought these guys and, and then Edway was fired and they bring in Pat Gillick and they're showing like the B-roll footage of them taking batting practice as kids. Like I thought that was cool. That was one thing yeah. I would give them credit for. But the other thing that these documentaries need to do is they need to teach you something that you, you don't already know. And I felt like I saw a lot of the footage uh, that we, we saw last night. Um, it was nothing new. The stories that they told, they didn't tell a lot about the behind the scenes stuff. And I think that those documentaries, like that's where you're supposed to learn those things. Like I want to know about that time in July when there was that clubhouse meeting or these two players are about to rip each other's hair out. You know, like that's what you want in those documentaries. You want to learn something new and say, damn, did you hear that story? And there wasn't a lot of that. They, they did it two times. Ed Wade had talked about the uh, Brad Lidge acquisition and when he was the general manager for the Astros and how he sent Lidge to Philadelphia. And he, he told this little anecdote about how he was this close to acquiring Cliff Lee for Brad Lidge. And I mean, that kind of, that'll blow your mind. Think about what that would have done, uh, yeah. not only to that season, but really the next few seasons as far as the Phillies are concerned. Like That's a that's a great little anecdote. Um, Jason Worth talked about how Charlie Manuel didn't want to play him. Pat Gillick loved Jason Worth, but Charlie Manuel didn't want to play Jason Worth. So he says, I got some highlights of my uh, 2004 season with the Dodgers, and I put it on Charlie's lap. And after a couple days, he looked at it, and, and he says, I think that that actually kind of convinced him to play me. That's what that documentary should have had more of. Not just like Jimmy Rollins being like, well, when Matt Stairs hit the home run, it was really high in the air. Like, yeah, I know, man. And I, that's what it really felt like to me. Yeah, the only, I, the only one that I remember kind of laughing at was uh, uh, Middleton talking about the fact that 
he wanted to run out on the field and like jump on the yeah. players, but he didn't think they'd appreciate it. So he ran out on the field and the fanatics waving the flag. And there's just like a really funny moment if you haven't seen it. Like that to me was, I, I thought the highlight of the whole thing was the video clip of John Middleton just kind of running up, the fanatic yeah. kind of look jumping at each and other fanatic, and yeah. jumping up and down and they hug. And it's just like a, a jumping up and down, big bear hug from the fanatic. And I'm like, well, that was funny. Like that was good. That was something I, I, I don't remember seeing that video before. Maybe other people had, but I, I, I honestly didn't remember it. So to me, like that was kind of cool, but yeah, like the, the it, it just those kind of documentaries. All right, they, you know, I I know that it's going to be critical, whatever. But do it right or don't do it at all. And to me, I think they would have been better off not doing it because this wasn't a scenario or a situation where they pulled the curtain back and kind of to your point talked about what the team dynamic was like. The fact that they they glossed over the regular season is is ridiculous to me. Then like don't call it like the 08 season, right? Like. They, they, in the, the hype up for it, they made it seem like it was going to be a comprehensive documentary about the entire season. And to your point, the fact that it was like, boom, oh, yeah, here we are. We're a month out from the, from the postseason. Uh, let's, let's pick up there. It's like, well, no, like, tell us about everything else that, that happened. You know, if, what happens if, if you're a kid, right? And again, uh, you and I will disagree about the, the age of the baseball fan and, and how baseball is doing going forward. But like, if you're a kid and you weren't around for the 08 World Series and and you're a parent and you want to sit your kid down and say, hey, like, watch, this was the first championship in like a quarter decade or a little bit more um, in, in the city. And like, look how much this meant to the city. You know, this is these are the guys that I, I, I loved watching. Like in my case, like if I wanted to sit down with my three year old to like watch a, a documentary and he has a decent enough attention span to understand sports. So, like, if, if I sat him down and I was like, yeah, that's Chase Utley and that's Ryan Howard and that's Jimmy Rollins, that's Shane Victorino, it's Jason Wirth, that's Pat Burrell. Yeah, those guys could all hit the ball. Look how far they hit the ball. You know, they, they, I don't think they did a good enough job. I don't think if you were like a, an eight-year-old kid or something and, and you sat down or a nine-year-old kid and you really love baseball, I don't think if you sat down and watched that, you got any kind of a, a real feeling for what that team was. And I didn't get nostalgic at all. I mean, like, sure, you know, you get the Harry Callis call and and that's something that we have easy access to on on YouTube and plenty of other, you know, streaming platforms. But to me, like th- there was such little feeling of nostalgia. It, I just think it came up. It came up tinny. It's like when you try out a new soundbar or a new pair of headphones and, you know, you're a kid and you're saving up your money and, you know, you, you go and buy like you can't afford the bows. You can't really afford the beats at this point, but like Sony has like a nice pair of headphones and you think, yeah, you know what? That's better than, than the uh, skull candy ones. I got it five below. So I'm going to throw, you know, a little bit of extra money. I'm going to try to get the nicest pair of Sony headphones I can. You pop them in and you go to turn on some Zeppelin or maybe you go to turn on some old Kanye and it's just trash. It just, it, it feels like the pieces are kind of rattling apart. It feels like there's no real bass just feels tinny and that to me is is how i felt you watching know, that documentary and this is what they need to be doing they need to be doing these documentaries these 30 for 30 style pieces i, I think that people in this area would would eat that stuff up um i guess i guess this is my main criticism of it um i, I think that the the producers were probably limited in their resources uh in terms yeah. of finance and what they could do but yeah. i think that if, if I were to look at that documentary and if I had the final, the final say on it and I said, all right, look, before we put this thing out here, 
this is what needs to happen. You've got to go back. You've got to include more of the 2008 season. You've got to dig more. You've got to find more nuance to this narrative. You've got to find more anecdotes to this. You know, don't just talk about like, well, what was it like winning the World Series? You know, what was the crowd like? That's like, that's such an easy question to ask. And it's the obvious question to ask. Like, find me some more insight. Like, go deeper uh, would, would be my thing. And they just, they didn't do that. And also to that end, I would have hired a, an outside narrator. Um, I, I yep. think that Amy Fadul is is great. Uh, this is nothing against Amy Fadul. You know, um, I, I think that she's one of the mo- more talented people in the network and and all of that. But I just think that when you hire an, an outside narrator, uh, it gives the piece a little bit more polish um, than, than hearing a traditional voice like that. Uh, you know, you see NFL films, um, they have a, a whole collection of narrators that they'll use, um, for different pieces. And I just think that providing a different voice to it, um, it might've been helpful just because you're not used to hearing that. You say, Oh, that was really different. They got this, this person in whoever that may be. Um, that would have been something I would have considered as well. Well, Uh, like somebody who was on the radio or the uh, TV team. Like, for as, as much heat as we gave Chris Wheeler back in the day, like, I, I miss the guy now in telecast. But see, like, to me, if you do that, then it has that video yearbook feel to it as well. Like, I, I need, like, I need somebody completely outside of, of what I'm accustomed to hearing. Like that, so you want, like, you want the guy who, like, leads into the movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, I actually won the uh, Phillies, won the World Series. Um, Major League Baseball Productions released a, a World Series DVD, and they had Terrence Howard do it. Which is like super, hmm. seemingly hmm. super random, but it, it did. It, it gave it Will just Smith's in Philly. Yeah, it just right? gave it like a yeah. different vibe. Now again, though, I, I think that they were limited in terms of what they could do with their budget. And the guy, actually, uh, Amy Fadul's husband, Sean Kane, who's one of the main producers at uh, NBC Sports Philly. He, hmm. You know, he worked. He hmm. worked. Uh, and I'm not even. All right, go ahead. That, that's no, not. No. That's not the point no. I'm trying to make. But I, I think that I think that he's a sharp guy, and I think that he. I think he probably knows that. I think that he looks at it and says, like, well, you know, I would have liked to have done that dude on the on the podcast criticizing my, my film right now. But I, I do. I just think that he was – I think that they were limited in, in what they could do um, because of, of financial restrictions. And I would, I would imagine if you asked him, he would tell you, yes, ideally we would have liked to have been able to show more than seven or eight plays, all of which came in the postseason. I, I, and I think that that was more of a, um, a, a financial-driven decision than any. Anything else than it may be an artistic one. Again, that's NBC Comcast. Yeah. You know I, I mean? How does I, NBC I, I, and Comcast not, if you're just going to build this, like, look at us, look at this thing we did, and then that's, and, and you and don't go all in, just out. go all it's, in. That's all. That's yep. my only thing. Like, you didn't go all in. You just, you did a little bit more than what you usually do with the same well, graphics package and the same feel and the same writing style. Like, it just, I was looking for something different. Um, I threw out a question on Twitter. I said, you know, this, this was, I was a little underwhelmed is what I said. Cause I didn't think it was horrible. I didn't think it was bad. Even I just, it just wasn't what it could have been. And that would be the, my, that's the primary criticism that I have. So I said, Hey everyone, how did you feel about it? And, and everyone said exactly that. I mean, literally, I think I had 14 or 15 responses to it and, and everyone said like, uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't what it, what I thought it was going to be, or I thought it was a little bit weak, or I I honestly was disappointed. Like that was the consensus opinion. Now Comcast, or I'm sorry, uh, NBC Sports Philly on their Twitter account screen grabbed some responses, and people were like, "Thank you for this. Thank you for such wonderful storytelling." Like, I just yeah. I, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was wonderful storytelling. I just thought it was well, a trip down memory lane. 
I'm glad they're screen capping the uh, the new interns that are you know replacing <laughs> talented people that they consistently you know kick out the door. But whatever, um, you know, like yeah, I'm I'm looking at some of the responses that we had, and uh, somebody who uh, who follows this show a lot, Amish Chirp said, "Underwhelming would be an understatement. Having a better narrator might have helped a bit. Good, but not great." Uh, Joe Ryder, lack of actual footage, killing it. Nick Lowe said it's so bad. Uh, Jason Damasi said they had the budget to show about seven highlights. Max Lightman had so much potential, but with no highlights and skipping over the entire season and the playoffs, there was no recap. Just a whole lot of nostalgia and nothing more. I mean, it, it continued. It, it was just like people after people just saying essentially the same thing. And, and how often in this uh, current climate do we have people who are pretty much a- across the board in agreement with each other? I mean, the fact that everybody seems to have been pretty critical of this, I think, speaks volumes. And I think you and I are both kind of tiptoeing around stuff because we don't know what we can and can't say. There's going to be a, a piece going up on the site in the next day or so, we think, um, and that we've we both been kind of privy to that's going to, I, I think, give a better explanation for why things like this Phillies documentary uh, don't work out and why NBC Sports Philly seems to have some of the issues that it, that we perceived, at least you know, in our discussion last week um, on the podcast and and in Kevin's uh, post on the site, I think there's there's going to be some revelations that are going to come out in that piece that are are going to make sense. So stay tuned to the site for that. But I, I just I, I just feel so disappointed, honestly. Like I, I and I think we're going to end up talking in circles at this point, going on much more about it. But to me, you know, I know I said it all already, but like. You do it right or you don't do it at all. My dad always had the saying, you know, um, there's never time to do it right, but there's always time to do it again. And it feels like they're going to have to try a mulligan at some point. Like, it feels like plenty of years down the line, they're probably going to come back. And and look, it might not be the Soviet Phillies team, but if this is the kind of product that NBC Sports Philadelphia is going to slap their name onto, this kind of like video yearbook, lack of footage a lot of still photos zooming in and out like a kid like a, a high school kid putting together an iMovie project two hours before it's due if that's what this thing is going to look like Jeez. then they they better not come anywhere near the uh super bowl 52 recap because if this is what they're going to do with the eagles if i'm going to have to sit and you know watch clips of interviews where i kind of i, I go back to chris farley way back when had a, a skit called the chris farley show on snl where he would just sit in total awe of his guests, like Paul McCartney, he would sit there and he'd go, uh, man, "Remember the time that you that you played that song? Yeah, that was that was pretty great. Remember that time that that you you knew John Lennon? Yeah, that was that was pretty great. Like that to me is is what the Phillies documentary felt like. Like, uh, oh, I mean, I think she remember, no. Remember, uh, remember remember the time Matt Stairs hit that home run? Oh. And then Jimmy Rollins goes, yeah, that's pretty great. I don't oh, need this. Man. Don't do this know. to me for the world. I think it was a lot of like, walk me through that game. Like, tell me what you remember from that game. Like, I just want them to go deeper than that. You know, that, that was my, that was my issue. You know, make what, it a two hour show. Yeah. And it, it probably could have been longer too. You know, it could have so. been, they could have made that a two hour special gone deeper. Um, but the, <laughs> Look, the the fact that Chris that we Farley. know that that, that they're going to they're going to, you know, scream and and cry and probably behind cl- closed doors, upper management's going to say that they just didn't have the money for it. I'm sorry. You know, if 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 I'm anybody who works at NBC or at Comcast and that comes across my, you know, my desk is, "Hey, this is the product that we're going to put out." I I think you've got to go back 
you've got to you've got to go back and say you know what corporate like, run it up the the ladder or whatever and say look comcast <laughs> like comcast philadelphia do we have any more pride than what we're putting out here and i don't know if it's because they just want to go like totally you know bernie sanders methodology here and say everybody gets the same amount of money and like they're going to just give every regional sports network the same amount of cash so that you know a chicago blackhawks documentary gets the same as a phillies world series documentary i don't get it and maybe that's what they're they're thinking and maybe that's what the corporate model is but to me it's a shame that especially in philadelphia where comcast lives the fact that like it came off so cheap it felt like it was something that was made uh in honolulu or something where taryn hatcher the uh the Molly Sullivan replacement, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, probably not, but maybe, is coming from. Like, this just doesn't feel like anything. This feels like the kind of stuff I would have seen up in Schuylkill County on, uh, like, the uh, the high school sports show on the weekend. It, it was about that good. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm not trying to be negative here, but, I, I, but I'm being very negative because uh, it just didn't resonate. Yeah, so um, before we before we get out of here, we opened up some questions, and just want to grab a few of these from uh, Twitter followers. So we had uh, Joey underscore Delco said, why didn't they show more game clips? Uh, so I think that we just kind of addressed that. There is a financial component to that, and, and certainly it seemed that they were on a budget in terms of what they could show. So um, you see only 70 clips from the uh, from the games, game footage in the documentary, and, and that's sort of that. Uh, at Ted Lieberman. What do you want to give up for Manny Machado? <laughs> Russ, what do you want to give up for Manny Machado? You want to give up uh, anything? I don't want to give up anything. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. If, if you think you're going to get him, it's the Kawhi principle. If you think you're going to be able to get him, then fine. Like, take prospects. I, you know, I, we kind of talked about this, but, like, I, I honestly think that John Middleton at some point looks at this and says, you know what? Like, so many deals in baseball are held up because of prospects, and the amount of times that those prospects actually come up to the majors and become anything of note it's just so few and far between. I think he's ready to just make the splash and go out and fill the holes that you might cause in your minor league system by going out and getting big free agents. So I don't care. Yeah. Trade them all. I don't know if I want them to trade Sixto. Like I guess Sixto is the only guy that's off. And the it table doesn't for sound me. like he's going to be in play here. Um, I, I no. think what you're going to do is you're you're going to have them trade uh, a guy like Medina, um, and then it may be backed with like a Jojo Romero, Cole Irvin, a guy that projects to be a major league starting pitcher, but probably a back end of the rotation guy. And apparently they like uh, Archimedes Gamboa. That, that seems to be the, the shortstop that they're, they're zeroing in on from what reports are indicating. That package I would be comfortable with. I, I have really less reservation about moving the starting pitching uh, because the Phillies have a lot of young, controllable starting pitching. That is a position of strength. This is the situation that they collected these players for. You aren't going to put 12 of these guys in your system because you plan to use them all at the major league level with your own club at some point. You, you assemble these players for this type of situation. So I have no issue making a move that includes two, three controllable young starting pitchers with some upside, if that's what it takes, uh, and then a position player throw-in as well. If they like Jalen Ortiz, that one's going to hurt a little bit. He's a young kid with tremendous power potential. Um, he's a player that I, I think has legitimate 30, 40 home run potential at the major league level. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of those players that don't materialize either, and he's still quite a bit far away. So if it required him, uh, maybe him as well. Um, but 
that's the type of package that I think it's going to take a front end, uh, you know, highly prized starting pitcher. That's not Sixto Sanchez, a, a second tier starting pitcher, and then maybe one or two position players on top of it. Uh, this is a trade that's going to hurt. You're not going to get Manny Machado for, you know, four inconsequential prospects. It's not how this is going to go. So would I be comfortable with it? I don't know that I would use the word comfortable, but I, I would say that I would be willing uh, at this point. Um, the sign of a good trade is it hurts both sides. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, you know, that's, I think it's the best way to look at it, to be honest. All right, we got two more. I, lo- I love this. Judging by the fact that Tommy Hunter blows, uh, think they add in more prospects to get Britain as well. And that was from at Jay Farrell. One six. Um, sure. Yeah. So we talked about Britain. We don't need to really run through him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that the Phillies would be insane not to make a separate deal or include more in the package for Machado to try to land Britain or someone like Brad Hand or at the very least an upgrade in the in the bullpen. Um, you can go about it one of two ways. You can add a, a lesser known commodity, a guy that you just think you know, profiles well and a little bit more of an under the radar type of deal, or you can go out and get the big dog that you can try it out there in high leverage situations in the eighth and ninth inning, which is what I think this team really truly needs. Um, so yes, I do think that this is something they're going to strongly consider. And I think that like we talked about even earlier in the show, if it doesn't end up being Manny Machado that they get, that's still a type of move that I expect them to make. Um, and Tommy Hunter, Mr. FIP, the guy that's been really bad all year, but some metrics suggest that he's been, he's been a little bit better and a little bit unlucky to this point. Uh, even the FIP stuff starting to catch up with him as well. Uh, he's really struggled, uh, and he's not a guy that I would want to consistently go to in important games in September, and if you get there into October, I just I can't do it. I just don't want to go to him ever. Yeah, I mean, he, he just is not getting it done. Um, and then finally from at DJH7991, how good can this Adam Hazley guy be? Could you see him being an everyday center fielder? Russ, do you have any thoughts on Adam Hazley? Uh, not not Halsey, right? Yeah, not yeah. not the uh, not the former band Halsey. No, six one zero. No, I I have no idea. Uh, yeah, you know what I like about Adam Hazley that he was a productive college. Did you say Brad Paisley at UVA. You know, guy went to University of Virginia. He produced there. Um, he's close. I think that he is going to play a major league baseball game. Uh, sometime next season. Uh, I think that uh, he was just promoted to Reading last week. He's only been up there for a a little less than a week at this point, and he's been on a tear since getting there. He's only played four games, but he's hitting 385, uh, has two homers. Um, He's 5 for 13 with a a couple walks. So he's had a really nice season to this point. Uh, For the season, he's hitting 303. OPS is just shy of 800. Do I see him being an everyday center fielder? No, uh, I actually don't. I, I think that he's a corner outfielder. I think that ideally that you would play him in right field. Um, do I think that he's a productive Major League Baseball player? I, I do think that he will be. Uh, I think that he may give you very similar production uh, to what you're seeing with Nick Williams, um, which I don't know if that excites you or not, but Nick Williams I think is a little bit underrated in terms of what he can do offensively. So, uh, yeah, I do think that Adam Hazley uh, can be an everyday um, major league uh, right fielder. So uh, that would that would take care of the questions. Rush, you got anything else? No, I think that's it. Okay, I feel good. All right. I, I feel, feel like, good. Uh, you feel strong. Well, you know, I, I was on Twitter and I I saw Phillies announced that they traded for uh, Manny Machado. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. It's a retweet. And I'm like, oh, it's John Stolness. And John Stolness goes and does the thing that most of the sports media people hate, which is, uh, you know, retweeting fake accounts and saying, oh, you got to be careful. 
got to be careful these days with all the fake accounts, but all you're doing is promoting fake accounts and fake news. So uh, that's great. By the way, um, I don't know if you saw this, and I, I guess maybe it, oh, I, I, you know, we're not going to call the person out by name or anything, but it was funny that, you know, Twitter started the purge of uh, fake accounts, and there was a, uh, uh, a reporter, we'll say, a Philly sports reporter who lost, I think it was somewhere around 10,000 followers recently as part of the purge now does so that we'll, happen uh, because you buy followers like yeah. i don't really know the, the purge thing too well i know that there were some celebrities that lost a significant amount of followers is that because you you purchase followers is that the, i think that's part of it yeah. yeah i think they go back and they trace um when the accounts are made and, and what kind of activity they have um and yeah I, I would assume that a lot of it are the uh the bot accounts that are available for purchase but now we're gonna let the people kind of go back and and do their digging and figure out who it was, but it was uh, it was it was pretty funny. It was a little highlight of our Slack chat recently. So uh, anyway, Bob, uh, people can look forward to listening to you tomorrow with uh, with Anthony. Hopefully, they make a Machado trade by the time Crossed Up records tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sure we that will. If- we will talk about Machado and Britain, but uh, because this was such a baseball heavy show, we'll make sure that we we include some different topics so you're not just listening to the same thing all over again. Well, it's okay. I mean, Anthony's uh, much more knowledgeable about a lot of stuff than I am, so it'll be uh, double the insight tomorrow. That'll be good. Um, but for Bob at BW Crossing Broad, thanks, Bob, for joining. Uh, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Make sure that you go over to iTunes. We're sitting on 350 five-star reviews. Uh, the more reviews, the more ratings we get in the five-star variety. We'll read them on the show. Life will be great. When we get to 500, we're going to do some kind of massive giveaway. I don't know what it is yet. I might not tell Kyle about it until it's too late, which will be good. So make sure you go on over to uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Leave a five-star review. And, of course, go find Bob and uh, and Anthony Sanfilippo over on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. That show drops on Tuesdays. And if there's any kind of a big breaking trade at some point later this week, I'm sure there will be an emergency episode of that show or this show or some kind of crossover between the two. And we'll make sure that we uh, bring you all of your Phillies needs. Also, don't forget, Snow the Goalies on Thursdays with uh, me and Anthony Sanfilippo. There's Crossing Broad FC. We'll be doing a recap show of the World Cup final probably this weekend. And uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. Don't forget to go check them out as well. So again, for Bob, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. Go Phils.